Hey there, podcast fans, educators, and fans of your favorite teachers in your life. This is Andrew Bray, son of your favorite podcast host, Barbara Bray. Hello. Oh, Andrew, you keep coming up with new things to say. I love it. Let's talk about something that might be exciting for our audience. Um, Tell me about this book that's been written by a familiar author. Yeah, it's Grow Your Why, One Story at a Time. But it's basically about 23 stories, amazing, awesome, inspirational people. They're not, there's some, many are educators, many are ex-educators, many are consultants, some are um, influencers. In fact, all of them are influencers. And the Mm -hmm. stories are just amazing. And it's about uh, their journey to the why, you know, to actually define it and grow it. And they talk about a time in their life when something made a real big difference. And some of them are like surprising. In fact, I didn't even know some of the stories. I can't wait for people to read it. (laughs) So how are they going to find this book? I know that you have a a website up, an informational website up while uh, while we wait for the publishing to release them. Uh, What is that website? Well, I'm the publisher, so I have to release it. And it's uh, my publishing company is new. It's Y Press Publishing, and it's on ypresspublishing.net. And that's W-H-Y. W-H-Y. That's right. Why would I do that? (laughs) Try to make it easy. (laughs) (laughs) By the time this episode's out, it'll be launched, and I'll have a link up to it. Um, I'm going to put it on every site that I can. <laughs> Great, folks. You heard it. Um, if you're a Barbara Bray fan, this is a must-have for your bookshelves. Oh, I'm just getting excited about the upcoming conversation we're going to have. You've you've given me give me a, a brief lowdown uh, that I'll be excited for you to share with the audience. But I I, I like that the person we're going to talk with is a bit no nonsense and has uh, a, a very passionate. Uh, motivation in their life. Oh, I met this amazing person, Dr. Asia Lyons. She has a podcast, The Exit Interview. And a lot of people, you know, they're worried there's just not enough Black educators. Well, they talk about trying to recruit, but they're not looking at what they can do to retain and support those educators. And so she does a lot of wonderful work with it. Oh, you won't believe this. This is the amazing, amazing conversation we had. So just listen to it. You're going to love it. <laughs> well, well, with that in mind, stick around for a conversation with the passionate Barbara Bray and the excited and, and breathtaking Asia Alliance. <laughs> I'm so excited. I have this amazing person that I've been wanting to talk to for so long, Dr. Asia Lyons. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad to be here, Barbara. How are you? Oh, well, right now, I'm just sitting on my virtual porch with the most wonderful person in the world. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I'm on my virtual porch, too, here in beautiful Denver. And even though it's the wintertime, the sun is out and it's gorgeous outside today. Oh, I'm in California and it's raining. <laughs> oh, okay. You're going to get it. <laughs> it's uh, coming yes, we always, 
We always get your weather. Always. I know. It's it's a lot. So be prepared. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, That's uh, fair uh. enough. Hey, I want to tell my audience a little bit about you. Is that okay? Go for it. Ah, okay. Dr. Asia Lyons is the founder and lead consultant for Lyons Educational Consulting, LLC. It's a coaching and consulting firm that supports schools and other nonprofits through equity auditing of their programming, co-creation of culturally responsive programming and curriculum, and job embedded coaching. Mm-hmm. But that's not all. She also co-facilitates a Black educator wellness cohort in the Denver metro area. I think we need to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It'll get into my why, but the Black Educator Wellness Cohort, fantastic group of folks who just really um, want to heal while they're experiencing some racial trauma in the education system. So we can get into that, sure. Wow, this is really amazing. And you know Mm -hmm. how we met, which is so cool. We were on a panel of other podcasters. In fact, there were a lot of men on that (laughs) panel. Yeah, three women. So we just said, hey, you know what? We have to connect. And that's been the best thing ever. Oh, welcome, Dr. Asia. I just love you. Thank (laughs) you. I love you too. And I'm so glad to be on the podcast. It took us a minute to get everything coordinated, but we're here together on this porch and it's beautiful. Uh, thank you. Even if it's raining and even if it's even sunny. If it's raining. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I always ask my, you know, my guests what their why is. Mm-hmm. And I just love to hear what you say. Yeah. So I think I'll, I'll focus on the why around, um, my work with black educators first. And so, um, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit later, but I was a teacher for 12 years in a local school district. And when I left um, the school district, I felt like I experienced a lot of racism-related stress and racial battle mm-hmm. fatigue. And I really wanted to make sure that the Black teachers who came after me in that district and, and also others had a place of healing and wellness and a place where we could hear each other and be in community with each other so that we can continue teaching if we want to and not feel pushed out. Um, and so it's been my why in that work. Uh, with that, the cohort, the Black Educator Wellness Cohort, as well as my podcast, Amplifying Black Teachers and their experiences to just make sure that we as Black folks in teaching have a space uh, to be heard and to hear each other. So that's one of them. And with working with the youth in my LLC, with my, LLC, with my company, Youth inside the school districts and really outside, too. That's a lot of our work, working um, with organizations outside the school space. They need to have their voices amplified. And a lot of organizations think that they're doing that well. But when we work with them, they see how they can do that even better to make sure that their voices, the youth voices heard from the beginning to the end of all of their programming. Wow. That's how, you know, Mm. I I think I told you a little bit about me, but it's always been about our, our children's voices and our, mm-hmm. and also teacher voices. I mean, we, I'm just so glad that this is one of your, is your purpose, especially mm-hmm. now, because I feel, especially black educators, we have, they, they need to be role models for our kids. Mm-hmm. And when I worked in Oakland schools, it was very rare to see a black educator. Mm-hmm. Now huh. it's, it's changing, but it we need, we need more as role models for the kids. 
Yeah. Yeah. 100%. In the state of Colorado, as of today, um, as of this year, uh, Colorado Department of Education says we have 946 Black teachers in the state of Colorado. Oh. So less than 1,000 Black teachers, yes. Um, and so I know that a lot of folks think we need Black teachers for Black students, but we also need Black teachers for all students, right? Yeah. And there, there are so many students who will go through their K-12 career and their entire education never having a Black teacher even in their school. Right. Not seeing Mm -hmm. a black person teaching them a school psychologist, like any position within the school. Uh, And that has to change. But it has to change once we figure out how to make sure that black educators feel they belong in the space. Well, it's amazing. I was looking at your story and how, Mm -hmm. you know, your journey. I thought it'd be kind of nice just to give a little short background of, you know, how you how you ended up with everything you're doing is just, I mean, I'm really, um, let's just say it's a real honor to have you here because I, I, you know, I, I just met you just recently, Mm -hmm. but it's almost like when we first met and talked, I felt like I've known you forever. That's that you you give that warm. It just made me feel so good. Just, just having you open up like you did. It just felt just what people need. I appreciate that. I felt the same. We did connect pretty quickly, right? <laughs> um, I appreciate that. Well, I mean, a little bit about my background. Like I said, I was, I'm originally from Detroit, um, received my bachelor's in ed- elementary education in University of at University of Michigan, um, moved out to Denver to find work because at the time that I was graduating, school district, uh, Detroit Public Schools was closing schools. So my boyfriend, now husband, said, let's try Denver. He lived out here for a little bit. And we moved out, loved it, started working for a school district almost immediately, um, really with the, that summer. We moved out in May, started working in July at a year-round school in the district and worked mm-hmm. um, teaching fifth grade and fourth grade and then sixth grade. So I taught for a total of 12 years. Um, children, um, I taught all subjects when I was an elementary school teacher, as we do. And then when I was a middle school teacher, I taught math courses. And I also taught social justice to uh, sixth graders when I was a teacher and stopped teaching in 2018. As I said, I was kind of pushed out of education in a traditional sense. Um, Worked in the nonprofit sector for a little bit and then decided in um, 2019 to start building a business versus going back to work. And it's been great ever since, really being able to find my voice, support educators in a way that I hadn't be thought of before, support youth and um, nonprofits in the way that I hadn't thought of before. So it's been really great for me. You mentioned, I mean, I just want to go back just because I thought I heard you. I was sixth grade teachers that social mm-hmm. studies. Okay. But yeah. you taught social justice yes. to sixth graders. And you told me the story of how the principal, when you first got that job, she, she, I think it was a woman, she said, go ahead, do whatever you want, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, so when I first, when the, the, the the way that our school was set up for middle school, and I never taught middle school before, so I didn't know if this was common, but um, so the principal was a male, a man, he said, yeah, we have students who need extra supports, and they're going to a class at and then there's kids who are in GT and they're going to a class. And then we need the kids who are kind of in this middle area 
to have something to do. So he's like, teach something. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So my first few years, I taught math and origami, math and sports, really keeping it close to the math, financial literacy. And then in 2016, I think it was, I decided that I was going to start teaching social justice class. Um, And we had a, a new principal by then, but, you know, that was totally fine. Um, she said that was totally fine. So I taught a social justice class. And the way that my class was set up is that the students got to decide the topics that they wanted me to teach. So I had 150 students across all of my classes. We would have um, a time for every student to vote. And like the top four topics were the ones that we learned that year. So I was obviously te- writing curriculum and finding curriculum almost on the spot because I had no idea before they voted what they were going to vote on. Um, And that first year went really well. Uh, The students were excited. I was excited. Everything, you know, it it took a minute. We started off with in the first part of the session, the class, like what is humanity and what happens when we have a lack of humanity in in society? And that's how we started it and then rolled it into the four topics that they chose from there. It wasn't until... We uh, elected our 45th president that we started to see a lot of pushback in the schools around social justice as a topic. So I found that there were more parents who were emboldened to tell me not to teach the classes. And then at first, you know, this is the next school year. So this is my second year teaching. Again, everything was fine. We started it. But then I started to notice that parents would want to come and sit into my class. Um, And this I taught in a predominantly white school a predominantly white school district. And again, had no problems until this that particular year. Um, and they would tell the principal, I don't think she should teach this. I don't think she should teach that. I don't think the kids should learn this thing and that thing. And we got to a place where um, the parents pushed back so hard that I was asked to change my entire unit, everything I was teaching. Um, and by that time, my students, we were halfway through the semester. So we had already talked about, I think, I think we had talked about race, racism, and anti-racism. By that point, we talked about humanity. And then the principal said, yeah, you're not going to be able to teach this anymore. And at that point, and this is a much longer story that I talk about a little bit on my podcast, but at that point, I'd had um, maybe 17 or 18 students be pulled out of my class by their parents, and they just sat in the counselor's office. They didn't come to class. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, and the parents did not want me teaching their children, so they just sat there. So imagine 17 kids every day in your counselor's office with like four chairs. And so I was forced to change the subject matter of my class to not be social justice. The 17 kids, parents didn't, even though I changed the subject, they found, the school district found money to pay a different teacher to teach that 17 kid, those 17 kids, even though we... We claim we'd have no funding in education. They find funding for racism. Um, and so this is the kind of the, I'll round off the story with, so I let my students know, like, we're going to have to change the topic of, of the class. And they're very upset about this. And they actually protest against the principal. And when they protested against the principal, I was put on leave because she was convinced that I told them to 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 protest against her. When I say protest against, I mean, they had a walkout. They went into her little, her office and was like, had little protest signs made of line paper and rulers. So can you imagine <laughs> 11 year olds, right? And when I was put on leave, they did have a, a silent protest in front of my classroom. So by the time I got back, 
and they realized I had not forced them to protest. They chose that because they were very upset about changing the social justice class. From that point, that was October of 2017 to May 2018, my principal made my life hell. Mm. Right? She just continued to like just make me miserable as she could because she had realized that even though I was on leave, my students still supported me and she had lost control, right? Um, oh, and I wow. left, I, yeah, I left teaching in 2018. I demanded an exit interview from my superintendent, which they did not give at the time and still don't. Um, shared my story and I left. <laughs> so, um, And so people ask me, do you miss the kids? Would you ever go back? I realized that education, the school systems are like this all over the United States because on my podcast, we interview Black teachers who've left the field of teaching from all over the country, and it's the same story. So I wouldn't put myself back in harm like that, right? Mm-hmm. But I would amplify the stories of teachers who are still in education and those who have left because that work is still important. You know, I just thinking about you, the stress that must have put on mm-hmm. you at that time, and knowing that those 17 kids probably wanted to be in your class. It was their parents, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, I'm just thinking how sad this is that politics had to get into mm-hmm. a school. You know, it's, it's just, it's still going on. I, I, we worked in, um, you know, I was doing personalized learning and I worked in Wisconsin and realized mm-hmm. that the school boards had changed and they had done the same kind of stuff there and mm-hmm. starting 2013 when we were doing personalized learning they were no we're going to go back to basics kind of stuff and mm-hmm. and so it's what's sad is the kids don't have any power they don't have any control except yeah. those kids that mar- you know that went out and protested <laughs> yeah. I love those kids for showing they have voice, even though probably it was really difficult for them, right? Mm-hmm. It might have been mm-hmm. just the pressure of the other kids there, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. I. Well, this is why you wanted to talk about kind of, you said racial battle fatigue. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what you wrote. Your, is that what your doctorate was about? Yeah, so I have a doctorate in leadership for educational equity, and my research focus was on the ways that Black educators experience racial battle fatigue in schools, Wow, um, from schools, and how it impacts our family members, because that wasn't my experience from, like I said, from October to May is a long time to be feeling isolated from other teachers because they stop speaking to me. Obviously, they don't want to be in the, with the bad kids. And then your principal's pushing against you and you have like zero support, right? And I was also experiencing a lot of things in the union when I was telling them that these things were happening, not being believed by the teachers union. So oh, I was oh, experiencing- scary. Yeah, yeah, it is actually, especially because our teachers union, when you talk about racism, if they're these folks don't believe racism is a thing, then you had to convince them before they can protect you. And they just really didn't. But yeah, so I experienced a lot of like crying in my car, not wanting to hang out with my husband, just being really disconnected, exhausted, just couldn't sleep. And so in my in my last year of teaching, I applied for a doc, doctoral program here at um, University of Colorado's Denver um, campus. And when I first applied, I applied under the idea of researching the ways that edu- like students 
to speak up for themselves, just kind of based off that experience I had with the protest. But by the time that I left teaching and started the program, and um, my nervous system had a chance to kind of really heal, start healing. And I realized that, yes, that conversation about youth empowerment is important, but I needed to understand what was happening in my own life. So I call it me search, right? It's, it was my me search. I got to write that down. And I, That's cool. Yeah, my research was my me search. And I found Dr. William Smith coined the term racial battle fatigue in 2007. And so I started to study that and how that was what I was experiencing. I experienced the racism, which then my body responded with the crying and the hives and the inability to sleep. And it also impacted my husband. I, I very openly say to people, like my marriage was on threads because I just didn't want to hang out. I couldn't do anything. I was just so miserable at work that all I want to do was sleep and be like away from everyone. So yeah, so that was my research. And so after graduating uh, with my doctorate, and even before then, I started to support Black educators, to start the podcast, and really just make sure that when I do presentations at conferences or presentations out in community, that I talk about this because a lot of people are experiencing racial battle fatigue, Black, Brown, people of color, but don't know the language. They don't know what it is. They just know that they're experiencing something. So my work is to like spread the gospel <laughs> about what it is and how to combat racial battle fatigue so that you can go on and do the work that you want to do. Oh, this is so valuable. I mean, I, I've talked to so many people and realize um, I've actually talked to white folks, <laughs> white teachers mm-hmm. who have had similar experiences with an administrator. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it, it's this idea of not being trusted, respected or valued. Mm-hmm. And then it's like you have a gatekeeper who is undermining everything you want to do. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. add on to that, you're a black educator. How many other Black educators were in your school at that time? I'm just curious. Um, There were, so the middle school may have had, oh, I don't remember now, maybe 50 teachers. There were three of us, three Black teachers, Mm -hmm. maybe two. Two, I think it was two. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's the hardest part is you feel isolated and it's terrible that they would, you know, it's about, it's about you and it's about who you are. Instead yeah. of instead of this idea of what you're doing is actually good for the kids. <laughs> yeah. And how do you change? This is why, you know, I, I, I want to talk about, you know, down the road is how do we have conversations with people who just want to fight us for the wrong reasons? How do you do mm-hmm. that? So mm-hmm. this idea of making Black educators feel they have they can advocate for themselves and they can be stronger and they can find what's the best for them even in a hostile environment i don't know some of it's hard oh no 100% yeah. 100% is hard and so like when we talk about when and i have a co-facilitator her name is dr ellie cahill she's a psychologist when we talk to folks in a black educator wellness cohort about what they're experiencing it's not to convince them to stay in teaching it's not to do anything but say, I hear you. And like, let's talk about what you need to heal. And that could be staying, it could be leaving, it could be taking a sabbatical. Our work is not never to say, like, we have, you have to stay in teaching. So, what can we do to get? Because yeah. 
because you're continually experiencing harm. It's not like after the cohort, they go to work with a fresh start. The same folks who are against them on Friday are going to be there on Monday. The same systems and policies that ignore the things that they need are still going to be in play. And so our work is, again, to like, yes, you're right. This is happening to you. And like, what can we do to support you so that you are able to do the work that you love to do or decide to stay? I mean, decide to leave either way is your choice. So how do you I mean, there are teachers out there that need you. So mm-hmm. do you have workshops going on or, or you said coaching? Do you do individual coaching for people who are, you know, they don't know how to speak up. They don't know how to do this for themselves. Yeah. How do you do yeah. that? So this is such an interesting question because Dr. Cahill and I have been talking about how to expand our work. Um, because right now for me, a lot of my, the things that I do with our projects that I have are within my consulting with youth serving organizations. And we haven't quite expanded into supporting Black educators um, in a way that's more um, national and less local or, or, you know, have some kind of way people can reach out to us. I have had folks who will have a conversation, they'll find me via LinkedIn and we can talk and chat, but like an official, here's this thing that you can sign up for. We haven't started that yet. So that's something that we'll be thinking about for the new year, for sure. I think it, even if it's a, um, like a free webinar just to get them in so yeah. they can see that they're not alone. I think that's the problem. Yeah. If you were only one of two Black teachers in that, and, and then you were singled out, and the other teacher is probably mm-hmm. not sure what to do, right? It depends on mm-hmm. how they react. Um, I can't even imagine what some people are going through, and they don't want to lose their job, or they don't know what to say. They don't know how to take care of themselves. All those things that you're yeah. saying you do would be so helpful. It, I, I just, that's why I wanted to talk to you, Doctor Asia, <laughs> <laughs> because people reach out to me to ask my, for my help. I'm not the right person. Yeah. yeah, I'm not the right person. I don't know what to say. I don't have your background, and and um, I, I can't remember what the other t- a doctor, doctor, Dr. Ellie Cahill, Ellie Cahill. I mean, I also saw your team. You have an amazing mm-hmm. team. Is mm-hmm. that your is that your daughter on the team? <laughs> <laughs> yes, she's our, our our intern. That's what we call her. Everyone everyone knows that the ten year old, the intern, very much unpaid, but somehow paid, right? Yeah, we have a a team, our team. So Dr. Cahill is not on that team because that work that um, from our site is for the youth, right? Programming. So we have our site, we have our school counselors on the, in the program. We have uh, teachers, librarians, social workers who are all work on the team on the LEC side, the Alliance Educational Consulting side, on the teacher wellness um, side, it's me and Dr. Cahill doing that work together. Oh, so I didn't see mm-hmm. anything about that really online. Did you, is that not up Yeah. Yet? No, yeah, we, yeah. again, that's something we just, like our heart, you know, you have heart project and you're like, yeah. we'll just see what happens, see what happens. Yeah. yeah, so we haven't put the Black Educator work on the website yet because we really have we really have a hard time finding funding to sustain that programming. You would not believe how difficult it is to find funding to support Black educator wellness. We found that when we reach out to people, organizations, foundations, they'll say we're doing recruitment work. 
but they're not uh-huh. doing a lot of retention work. <laughs> and they say, go to the school district, ask the school districts of those folks in your program. And the school districts have all said, no, they don't want to support that work. And so it's hard to say, to say, hey, we're doing this thing officially when we don't have the funding and we want it to be a free program for Black teachers. That's a part of the work is we want it to be something that's not a financial strain to them. Yes, we're not assuming people do or do not have money. But the purpose, like when we have our cohort meetings, we feed folks, we give them small gifts, we give them a stipend for childcare or whatever they want to spend that money on. So we we want to make it a whole, like a holistic experience. Wow. So charging people for that work and for that time, we don't want to do that. And so in order to do that, we have to apply for grants and things like that. And we just haven't found consistent funding to say like, let's blow this up and make this something really big. But we really, really want to. We just don't know how yet. Oh, I well, one of the things, I remember doing retreats and, mm-hmm. and I could just see your it being a wellness center. Yeah. There could be a traveling wellness center, really, in a retreat form. So let's just say we're going to go out to all the funders and grants out there. I think, I know we need this. And mm-hmm. I love the idea of not charging because they're already probably financially strapped. They're probably mm-hmm. uh, under stress. They're probably not even sure they want to still be a teacher or whatever they want to do. And maybe like you did, you said you even had your marriage on threads, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, just imagine what's going on in their heads right now. They mm-hmm. need this. They need this from all over. I just, I would love, love, love to help you somehow get this out there so you would get the funding you need. Because um, have you written grants before? I'm just curious. So Dr. Cahill is the person who holds the 501c3. And yeah, she writes the grants. We we contribute together, obviously. But after a point, you can just pretty much, yeah, it's pretty routine. So yeah, yeah we, we, wrote, we wrote grants. We've been writing grants like wildfire. <laughs> good, um, good, and we, good. Yeah, so that's not the, 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 the grants are the issue. And I think something else I want to add about the paying to having teachers pay. Why should teachers pay to be healed from racism they experienced in the school district? Yeah. Like, why shouldn't the school district or other, like, wh- why do I have to, I mean, I understand that um, some therapy, obviously, it's a lot of time for you paying for things, right? But to me, it's just, I don't know, I don't. I don't necessarily like that. And I've had folks say, well, you could just charge something, but that's not the point. We want it to be a place where they feel held. Yeah. And they don't have to worry about anything, which is why we offer funding for, for childcare and other things. So, oh, I just love this. And I know you're going to get it. I know it because, I mean, I'm just thinking Oprah or someone. <laughs> out there. Come on. I I know some other people. Uh, So here's the thing is that not only did you find this because it's another avenue for you, you, you went Mm -hmm. down the road and started that your consulting and coaching business, but when you experience your own thing and then you see it happening over and over again, Mm -hmm. people are like, and you probably have teachers reaching out to you and telling you things Mm -hmm. like they're telling me right now. Mm-hmm. I I don't think that the schools would do it because they cry poor all the time, right? And they would also they would also have to that would be somewhat admitting that 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 they did that. Yeah. That their school district caused the harm. 
if you're willing to pay. You have to kind of accept that this happened in your school district, which means yeah. you're slightly responsible. Wow. It's hard because mm-hmm. um, especially if you have a, a a school board or you have parents that are fighting you. It, you so got there, there's a conflict, you know, it's conflicting and they, you know, go to the majority of some, you know, whoever's there. And so we definitely need to work on this. And I, I mean, you need, I just want to be able to say everybody out there. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes. Um, Everybody out there. Listen, listen, you got to just Look at this. I, I I mean, I could talk to you forever about this. And I know that if we go listen to your podcast. So you said you started a podcast on this. Mm-hmm. Is that what the podcast mm-hmm. is about? All yeah. So the podcast is called The Exit Interview, a podcast for Black educators. And what we do is we interview Black educators who've left the field of teaching so that they mm. can share their exit interview stories. Because like I said, when I left, when I left that interview with my superintendent, I thought, on the way to the car, there are so many of us who leave teaching and never get the chance to share our story. Or they left and they were just wanted to run away from it and not deal with it and have come to a place now where they're ready to share it, but there's no space for that. And so my co-host, Kevin Adams, and I, we that's what we do. We interview um, Black and former educators, school psychologists, classroom teachers, administrators from all over the country to share their exit interview story, to find out what they're doing now, what they believe education unions and school districts can do to keep teachers. Um, yeah, and so that's that's what we're going to do. We're going to continue to amplify the stories of Black folks who've left teaching so that we can't say we don't know why they're leaving because we have a platform that shares why we are leaving the classroom. So now, how many people have been on your show so far? I'm just curious. Uh, I think we have 34 episodes, so we do, it's wow. fairly small, but we're getting there. Well, just <laughs> We have think, plenty of people. That's amazing. I got to listen to it. It just sounds mm-hmm. wonderful. We're going to put a link on it, so I want people to, you know, follow, but this is good. You know, I just finished a book with stories from people that were on my podcast. You're mm-hmm. going to have to write a book about this because then call it the exit interview or something like that, because I think... I think that people don't realize they don't even know that this is happening because people are quiet when they leave. Mm-hmm. They're afraid to mm-hmm. say anything, right? And or exhausted from sharing the story so much and nobody hearing them. What? Why would an exit interview matter if you feel like you weren't heard for the last ten years or five years or thirty years? Even if you were offered an exit interview at that point, it's like you're not. You didn't believe me all this time. I'm not going to be bothered. To, to to put myself wow. through that one more time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So gosh, I could talk for an hour more, but we can't. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to have to do some more another time. But I have to say, you and I are going to be at South by Southwest CDU and you're going to yes. be talking about this, right? Yeah. So my, my um, session is on the 6th at, I want to say 10 o'clock, I think. Um, in the mor- or in the morning, and it's on the topic is racial battle fatigue's impact on educators and their families. Wow. So I will be here. So this is my first time. I'm so excited. And Barbara told me she's going to be there. You're going to be there. So I'm excited to hang out with you and see you in real in real life and to hang out and do all the things. So you've been there quite a few times. You said, Yeah, I love it. I love it. But I'm uh, so I actually I'm going to write that down when when you're going to be there because that's not when I'm speaking. So that that'll be good. Okay, perfect. So I can do yes. that. But I want anyone that's going, so we'll be sharing this. And um, 
Is there anything that you would like that I didn't talk about that you want to mention? Or did we cover? Because I I just so glad you mentioned all these things that we actually didn't say we were going to talk about them. It turned out perfect. <laughs> yeah, it did. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think you, you brought up that more people should know. So if folks are interested in me speaking um, at their organization or within their school district about racial battle fatigue or their union meetings or conferences, I'm open for keynote speaking, so I have no problem doing that. Um, and yeah, follow me on LinkedIn. I'm always putting content out and reach out. I, I love to respond to people. I do respond to my emails and my messages on LinkedIn. So yeah, feel free to reach out. That's it. We're going to put your LinkedIn and all, all the contact mm-hmm. information for on the post that goes with this podcast. So I want people Perfect. to be able to reach you. Oh my gosh. I wish I could hug you personally. I just love you. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for being on my virtual porch. This was so wonderful. Same, same. Thank you for having me. Oh, gosh. Like I said, we're going to be friends and we're going to go play in Austin. So, yes, we are. <laughs> yes. Thanks, my dear. No problem. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Dr. Asia Lyons. I loved our talk on my virtual porch. I was so impressed with Dr. Asia's energy to make a difference about equity for all, about the Black Educator Wellness Cohort, her podcast, The Exit Interview. Oh gosh, there was so much more. So make sure you check out the blog post that goes with the podcast on barbabray.net. That way you can learn more about our coaching program and access all the resources that Dr. Asia shared with me. It would be awesome if you subscribe to my podcast. I'd be really grateful if you wrote a review. Thanks again for listening and keep sharing your story. And please stay safe and be well.